Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. As we start a new sermon series here at our church, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let's take a look at the passage that we'll be reading today. It comes from the book of James in the New Testament. This is going to be chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. My brothers and sisters, Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, Stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. Embarrassing happened to me last week. We were getting ready. I noted last week that we were getting ready to go see our daughter in college. And as a bat, we were ready to go and I was using the restroom. And as I was ready to leave the restroom, I was twisting the knob a couple times on the bathroom door and realized that I was locked in to the bathroom. Very frustrating and kind of funny. Now I look back on it, it was not funny at the time. Tried all kinds of different things. Finally, I had to take the pins out of the hinges of the door We removed the door and had to get going, so the door was off of the hinges. We got back from our trip, and I didn't have time to kind of put the door back on. So for two or three days, we had essentially a doorless bathroom uh, on our first floor. So finally, I think it was on Wednesday, I was about ready to put the door back on, went to look for where I put the pins that go in the hinges, and discovered that there should have been three, but there were only two. I put them in a cupboard above our washer and dryer and couldn't find the third one. So I looked all over, got a flashlight out and kind of shone it down between the washer and dryer. I was a little nervous about doing so because you don't know exactly what you're going to find. When you shine a light and look in the crevices of your washer and dryer, maybe you are a person who does thorough cleaning of all parts of your home. Uh, I'd like to think that we have a clean home, but we do not, as a habit, move the wash and dryer to sweep and vacuum what's underneath. And so I shone the flashlight down there, was a little nervous about what I was going to find, didn't see the pin, asked my wife if she had seen it, the pin, and it turns out that she said, oh, I heard something fall from the cupboard the other day, but she didn't know what it was. So now I was briefly tempted to say, let's just go buy another pen. I don't know if I want to move the wash and dryer and find out exactly what's underneath there, but my wife insisted. So we pulled the washer, uh, pulled the dryer out first, no pin there, pulled the washer out. Finally, we found it. Now, of course, there are all kinds of dust, 
dust bunnies, an old sock that topped an old laundry detergent uh, a bottle. And it was, I was kind of grossed out by it a little bit. And so I thought, let's just move the washer and dryer back as quickly as possible. But my wife, to her credit, said, no, it's, we've got them out. We might as well just sweep while we, while we do so. And she did. So maybe you have something like that in your own home, maybe behind a couch, under a couch, behind some, under a refrigerator. And maybe if you shine a flashlight and you're thinking, I don't know, A, what's behind here? And B, I don't know if I want to see what exactly is behind there in the first place. Well, I think there are probably, for us with ourselves, if we think about not just uh, housekeeping in our homes, but in all parts of our lives, we realize there are parts of our own lives that we would rather not look too closely at. I'm not sure we would want to shine a flashlight over uh, certain aspects of uh, how we live our lives. That's why sometimes confession can be challenging for folks uh, when we really think about reflecting on our sin on the things that we do or don't do in our life that bring love to the world. So it's easy to just kind of skip over that. And it can be a challenge sometimes when we don't want to look at these things that we'd rather not see. It can be a challenge sometimes to also look both as a church and as a society to look at issues that are going to make us uncomfortable. We don't want to shine the flashlight on certain aspects of our world because we don't know what we're going to find, and we may know what we're going to find, but we don't want to look at it too hard. It's one of the one of the things I think that can be a challenge in our society is talking about race and racism, because we'd rather not look at our own stuff. If anyone is ever accused, or even if racism is brought up, there's that initial reaction, I think, from a lot of people, especially white people. If there's a tinge of racism involved, there'll be a, a sense of Responsive. I'm not racist, so I don't need to look at it. Or someone else say, "Well, I don't have, to, I don't experience racism, and so uh, we don't have to explore it." And then we just go on living our lives without shining that light to really look to see what's going on. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know better. We need to look because we know it's there. Urban Villages has its own journey. We have talked about diversity and anti-racism first, probably back in 2012. And it's been a challenging, sometimes painful, but I believe gospel-inspired journey. Since that year, I think we've preached a sermon series dedicated to anti-racism and how it integrates with our faith every year. Today, we kick off a new sermon series called Brave Spaces with a focus on going back to the basics, with a focus on the need to speak openly and honestly hopefully in spaces that encourages us, encourage us to be brave and speak uh, and share out of our own brokenness and confusion. We want to shine the flashlight, in a sense, uh, at ourselves, at our church, at society. And before we begin to do any of that, it's probably helpful to go back to the basics. Our church is pretty transient, so people are often moving in and out and so we thought about, as we were reflecting on what our sermon series about anti-racism would touch on this year, we thought it might be helpful to kind of go back to some of the core foundations of what we're talking about, do some definitions. So let's do that. Let's first talk about prejudice, the difference between prejudice and, and racism. This is a definition from <clears throat> a book uh, I really recommend called White Fragility. It's by an author named Robin D'Angelo. She defines prejudice this way. 
She says that prejudice is prejudgment about another person based on the social groups to which that person belongs. Prejudice consists of thoughts and feelings, including stereotypes, attitudes, and generalizations that are based on little or no experience and then are projected onto everyone from that group. And she notes, all humans have prejudice. We cannot avoid it. So we see a certain individual come from a particular background, uh, ethnic group, um, gender, whatever. And because we have a certain sense of this person belongs to that group, we have certain thoughts about that group as in general. So then we put that those prejudices, those beliefs on that individual person. Now, racism is more than prejudice. Here's a definition from Crossroads, uh, which is an anti-racism organizing and training group that Urban Village has worked with in the last few years. And they note that systemic power, systemic power turns prejudice into racism. Here's how they define it. Racial prejudice becomes racism when, one's, when one group's racial prejudices are enforced by the systems and institutions of a society, giving power and privilege based on race to the group in power and limiting the power and privilege of the racial groups that are not in power. So let's take a look at a couple of examples. I'm going to show two very brief video clips in worship. And I'll put these links to on the Podbean page so you can take a look at them too. Uh, one of the videos talks about systemic racism and asking, is systemic racism a thing? And it gives, there are numerous videos that it shows, but just we're going to look at, again, two of them. One notes that, here's an example of systemic racism, that black college graduates are two times more likely to be unemployed than white college graduates. And then applicants with, quote, white-sounding names, unquote, are 50% more likely to be interviewed. Now think about that. So that means that that second one particularly is just astounding to me, that someone with a white-sounding name is 50% more likely to be interviewed than someone with, I guess what they're considering, I don't know exactly what the the study considers white-sounding or black-sounding name, but white-sounding names, 50% more likely to be interviewed. This is systemic racism at play. Here's another example. Now, when we talk about drug arrests, the most drug arrests are actually for possession, not for selling uh, drugs. And so here's a statistic. White and black Americans use marijuana in equal amounts. This is, of course, there are lots of laws being passed now that legalize marijuana, but I think these studies were done before that. White and black Americans use marijuana in equal amounts, but black Americans are 3.7 times more likely to be arrested than white Americans. I mentioned earlier that in the definition of racism, I said one group's racial prejudices are enforced by the systems and institutions of a society. And so we may wonder, what are these systems and institutions? And we're, we see here a couple of examples uh, law enforcement is a system and institution. Education is a system, po- our political systems, um, employment, uh, companies, businesses that uh, hire people. All of these are systems and institutions. Just a few examples. So this is where we see racism, systemic racism at play. So I'm going to talk about a little bit more about the difference between prejudice and racism in a minute. But let me stop here for a second and just 
respond to sometimes people might ask, why does the church care about this? Or why is the church, why is Urban Village, for example, spending time on this? Can't we just talk about love and forgiveness and all these other things? But for us, as United Methodist Church, it it is embedded in who we are. And what I mean by that is whenever we have someone who wants to be baptized or we baptize an infant, or when someone becomes a new member, they become part of the community of faith, the very first question that we ask them touches on things like racism. Now, we don't specifically say that, but here's what we ask. Here is the first question that we ask individuals, again, who are going to be baptized, who are going to have their children baptized, or who are going to join the church. We say, ask them, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Now, sometimes when I ask that question, I I joke about this sounds like it's when I talk about something like the spiritual forces of wickedness or the evil powers of this world, it sounds like something out of a Star Wars movie or a Harry Potter book. But it's something to, when we talk about racism, racism is spiritual forces of wickedness. This is the evil powers of this world. And if we claim to both ask and answer this question and say yes to this, it means that we must take on these forces and these powers that impede individuals and groups in our society from fully flourishing. And certainly racism does that. Racism impedes, harms, sometimes kills individuals based on their race. And if we're serious about renouncing and rejecting these forces and powers, that means we have to take racism seriously and do the work. Now, we tend to focus, when we talk about racism, we tend to focus on individual acts, the acts of prejudice. Somebody says something insensitive, does something that is harmful, but instead we need to think bigger than that. We need to think about the systems and the powers, the forces in place that harm large groups of people, not just individual acts. We can call out individual acts of prejudice too, but it's up to, we believe, it is part of the church's responsibility to do this, to focus on the systems as well. And we see this played out in the scripture reading for today from James, which you may not realize. Now, James is an interesting letter. It's been called or it's said that's a letter that has a, a lack of sophisticated theology, because mainly because there's a real focus on practical morality. So if sometimes you're reading the Bible and if it gets a little confusing for you or you feel like it's going over your head, James is a really good book to read through because he, he gets to the heart of things, the nuts and bolts. So here in this passage today, we see some uh, or we, we, get, we sense what's going on here. People are being treated better than others. So in this case, it's the wealthy. And James talks pretty specifically about what they are doing. They're going up to somebody who may be wealthy, wearing fine clothes and saying, here, have the best seat in the house. And others who are poor, who are not wearing the fine clothes, we tell them to go go off to the side. And then, so after calling out the church, calling out out this community for behaving in this way, committing these individual acts of prejudice, I think the key verse here in this passage is verse eight. And here again, James says this, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So here, what James is doing, he's pointing at individual acts, individual um, instances of behavior, of prejudice. And then James calls that out. But then James takes a step back and says, we need to think more, not just about these individual acts, as we're talking about today, prejudice. We need to look bigger than that. Here, James is talking about the law. And by that, he means it's the, this is the kingdom of God. Love of neighbor. This is not a vague or undefined ideal. Uh, there's a biblical scholar named Luke Timothy Johnson, and he's, he's describes it this way as, as James is describing it. The person who claims to live by the law of love, yet practices the sort of discrimination that the law of love itself forbids, has broken the law of love entirely. James starts or talks specifics, individual acts, then takes a step back and says, it's much bigger than that. We have to follow the law of love. And that's what calls out and should inform our individual decisions too. And that's why we as a church feel like it's important to focus, yes, on individual acts, but also on the systems in place that impede and harm and stop individuals, groups of people from flourishing. James is going from the specific to the systemic, which is what we are called to do as well. So let me give you another example. This is somewhat of a personal one. I've talked about Urban Village going through this process. And uh, three or four years ago, we had an audit. Crossroads, I mentioned earlier, did a lot of work with us in looking at what systems are we a part of that we engage in uh, that are harmful. Now, as the co-founder of Urban Village, of course, my reaction, immediate reaction is, well, you know, inclusive is one of our core values. We're good. But it's not the case. It's not the case today. It wasn't the case a few years ago. And so people would name things. They would talk about microaggressions that they were experiencing, people of color. We would take a look at what about the sermons that we preach, the music that we sing, the way that we have leadership in the church, uh, what are the ways that we communicate? All of these is is whiteness so uh, it has has whiteness infiltrated so much that we just don't see it. And for me and for the other co-founder of Urban Village, who's also white, we just might not be able to see it. So when people started naming these things, I remember in this three-day training that we went through, people were people of color were were talking and describing things that they were going through. My initial reaction was immediately was denial and to take it personally. Like I felt like I was being accused as the co-founder of Urban Village. And I focused only on the individual and I focused only on the personal. And that's exactly what I think these systems, uh, these powers, these forces want us to do, want me to do, is to take it individually, to take it personally. Because when we do that, we either deny it or we become so hurt by it that we withdraw And we don't look around at the forces and the powers that play into this. And I remember I talked and shared and I got a little choked up. And I mean, on the one hand, it was human. It was what I was experiencing at the time. But on the other hand, it wasn't very helpful to take it so personally. Because people who were speaking out didn't, I don't think, meant for it to be personally. There were no individual specific things that I had done. It's just the system that we had created. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. 
And thankfully, over the next few years after that, and I still have a long way to go, I still am, don't see things and need to be uh, held accountable to at times when I don't see racism at play, both in our system and in society. And so I'm constantly having to check myself and to see what am I doing to make sure that this, these forces, these powers at play that we may not be, uh, we may not recognize are, are harming our church and our society. It is not easy to take that flashlight and to shine it on ourselves, on our church, on our city, on our, on our society, in our world. Because it's much easier just to put that flashlight away. Let's just go back to the way it was. But when we do that, others are harmed by that. People are arrested because of that. People don't have a shot at jobs because of that. If For those who are in power, stay silent, then nothing changes. And individuals are harmed. Groups of people are impeded. So our hope is, as a church, to do the work for us to constantly look and check ourselves, to speak out, to be honest and brave with one another so that we can get to the point where James talks about that truly that we are living into this law of love where we can actually honestly say that we are loving our neighbors. So friends, let us take that flashlight and don't be afraid to shine it in places And then begin the process of cleaning our hearts, our minds, our churches, our institutions. So that we're doing all we can to combat these powers and forces that would stop us from doing so. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. This is, um, the series is always so needed and it's, it's challenging because you want to, there's so much you want to say and you only have a limited amount of time to do so. But I appreciate your, your listening. And as always, I'm open to your feedback. You can reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or my website is christiancoon.com. Uh, I am not going to be preaching next week. And so um, keep tuning in to the other podcasts that we have at Urban Village. And I'll be back in the week after that. And so until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And thou my true word, I am.